Anita and I have had just like a total blast the whole week. This is like the perfect weekend to come to Portland, right? This is like the way it is 12 months out of the year, right? So we have three daughters that are all grown and married and out of the house. So we got to stay at the Petruzzi Hotel all weekend long with three boys. A little bit of a different world. We're very thankful that Lulu the dog is a girl. So that's definitely helpful. And Danielle's kind of like one of our girls because back in the day she was actually in our campus ministry back in Hartford, Connecticut. So uh, anyway, we uh, we love the Petruzzi very much. Uh, it's good. To, we have dignitaries visiting from all over New England that have come up for your fine weather here. And I have to give a quick shout out to Nick Connor, helped plant the Providence Church. How about that? And so he was he was in grad school for two years. He never had like a dime of money, so everybody had to buy him food. And he didn't have a car. He had no car, so people had to drive out to Roger Williamson, drive him back. And as soon as he got a good job making money and got a car, he moved to Portland, Maine. <laughs> the planning of that, but uh, uh, he is dearly missed and loved. He's like uh, one of those blue unity people that uh, everybody loved and uh, sends their well wishes to. But uh, It's just great to be here. We, we pray for you daily. We love you deeply. So many of you we've known for years, and even if we don't, uh, God knows you and he loves you and he's got a plan for your life. And so uh, we're going to talk actually today about what's your story, and we're going to just basically look at one passage in the Bible over in Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to see how I'm doing up here. Oh, probably got to turn it on first. That's a good idea. Okay. Let's go on, and then let's go. Here we go. So what's your story? So what if, uh, you know, when you walk into someone's home, you see things that are on the wall, right? You see, usually people have, you know, the hunters have the deer head, or most people have pictures of their family members, and so they want to, you know, they want to know, if they're, they're convers conversation starters, and so I hear just a few examples people might have. A lot of the women in particular in the kitchen put signs like this, I like hugs, I like kisses, but what I'd really like is help with the dishes. So, you know, sometimes there are like strong hints that are being given to uh, other people around but when you walked into my house growing up, there was this massive fish on the wall. There was this bass fish on the wall. And my dad would just sit in anticipation until someone would say, Hey, did you catch that fish? As if, no, somebody else did. And I put, of course he caught that fish. And he was just waiting to tell the story of the great fish that he caught. And, uh, and all the kids, of course, had heard the story 500 times. We'd roll our eyes and be like, oh, no, we don't we get the fish story again. And, uh, but I was thinking about that as I was reading this passage in Luke 5, because I want you to go back 2,000 years with me. You walk into my home, and on my wall is just like a mat. There's a mat that's hanging on the wall. And, of course, your curiosity would perhaps be piqued, and you would say, why in the world do you have a mat on your wall? And all of my kids would roll their eyes and be like, oh my goodness, we're hearing this story for the 500th time. And here's the story that this father would tell. So in Luke chapter 5, we've got it up here. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, we've got uh, starting in verse 17. I, I even like the way it starts. One day, like one day in the life of Jesus is always kind of crazy to blow away, right? What will your one day be like today or tomorrow? 
But it says, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks for blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and wonder and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You know, I've been thinking lately, I, I just love kind of all the obscure little cool things in the Bible. I think everything's in the Bible for a reason. Yeah. Most of them, we got no idea exactly what they're for. But uh, uh, even in my older years, it seems like every time I pick up the Bible, if you read and you pray, God reveals kind of cool new things. And, but when I read this passage a couple of months ago, what struck me was, you know, if I were Jesus and I had the power to heal, I would kind of like whatever, say abracadabra or have smoke poof out of the air or, you know, even say, you know, go show yourselves to the priest, you know, that, that happened in the Bible, or just be healed in a deep voice that kind of echoed off the chambers of the wall. But in this particular case, he tells him to do something that seems kind of bizarre to me. He says, pick up your mat and go. Now, why in the world did the guy need to take his mat? First of all, he wasn't going to be lying on it much anymore, right? Because he'd been healed. And So why is it that Jesus specifically told him? Now, when you leave, I mean, he was probably dancing a jig, just wanting to take off and run out of there. But in this case, he said, don't leave your mat. I want to make sure that you take your mat and you go. And I've got some ideas we'll talk about as to maybe why that was. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to, I mean, can you imagine, first of all, just what it would be like to be paralyzed, period? I mean, in today's world, to be it's just, and then go again, go back two thousand years ago. No government funding, no cool beds or wheelchairs, no anybody really to take care of you around the clock. I mean, just the intense, painful life of being paralyzed. You just got to stop and think about that for a while. And as I thought about that, though, I want to make sure that we understand. I think it's actually far worse to be spiritually paralyzed. You know, we, we talk about how horrible cancer is, and it is, and let's pray for cures, and let's pray for the people that have it. But I actually think spiritual cancer is far worse than even physical cancer. And to be paralyzed spiritually, uh, some of us are paralyzed in our relationships or with different kinds of addictions or the lies that we've told over and over and over or the fears that we have. And I want us to read this story and realize that Jesus can cure us of our paralysis. In fact, to me, the great part about this uh, it kinda like, it's kind of like our day today. Some friends brought a man to Jesus. And it's interesting. They didn't really bring him to a religious experience, right? They brought him to Jesus. I think even sometimes those of us who are members of the church kind of think more like we're just kind of showing up at a, a service or a religious occasion. That, that's not where they brought him to Jesus. That's where you and I need to go. We need to go to Jesus. 
not just to religion. I think sometimes people today are much more entertained by the coolest band they hear, or the most eloquent preacher, and really, that's, you don't have to hear the coolest music in the world, although we're thankful for the music team. And What you need is you need to be brought to Jesus. I mean, some people go to church and they want to be taught about the prosperity gospel and how you can get rich out of this and how God's going to... And really, all you need is Jesus. And if you have Jesus and you're poorer financially, I promise you, you're going to be okay. If you have Jesus and your health fails, you're actually going to be okay. Not even if, when your health fails, right? Because we're all, we're all headed to that point at some time. I, I hope today you feel like you're going to be brought to Jesus. That's what happened to this man and it changed everything. And so I want to talk today just briefly about what did this map represent? When this guy tells his story over and over and over again, what, why did he put his mat on his wall? Why was he so fired up? Why did Jesus say, when you leave, make sure you don't forget your mat? I've got three quick points. And the first one is, it represented to him forgiveness. Whenever he saw the mat, he thought about forgiveness. Now this was very interesting to me also. Maybe I get interested by weird and bizarre things. But here's a man who's paralyzed... He has four friends, and all these five people want to do is get this man physically healed. It's all they're thinking about. They're scheming and they're planning. And they can't, you know, stick him in an air-conditioned car or van and drive him over. They've probably walked for miles. They're tired. It's hot outside. It's dirty. They get to the building, and they can't get in. It's too packed. They're going to miss. So they get up on the roof. They dig a hole in the roof and let their friend down. I mean, they risk jail time, you know. They, they obviously going to have to pay the guy back, so they're losing a large amount of money out of this. There's nothing about this that really... But all they wanted was, please, Jesus, please just say, be healed, be healed. They drop him down in the middle, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And how did they feel about that? This was a bummer. This is not what they were wanting to hear. They looked at their friend, and what was happening to their friend? Nothing they could tell. He was still laying there on his pallet. Your sins are forgiven. He didn't, he didn't quiver. He didn't shake. He didn't, you know, maybe something was going on. But this was the time when they're all thinking, we don't really need spiritual platitudes at this point, Jesus. You know, stop with all your theology. We just wanted you to heal the man. But Jesus was obviously making a point. And his point was a point we all need to get. There's nothing more important in life than getting forgiveness of your sins. Right. Nothing. And see, we need to get that one too, right? Because a lot of our days are spent focused on, I've got to get a job, a better job. This one is not paying me enough. Or I've got to find a wife or a husband. This is really good. Or I've got to get my medical stuff all covered. We, we spend all of our lives thinking those are the most important things. And the truth of the matter is they're not. The number one most essential ingredient for every person who's ever been alive or ever will be alive is the forgiveness of their sin. It's just true. And when we understand that, it changes who we are and it changes how we relate to everybody around us. Forgiveness of sins is the greatest need. In in the church in Providence, we've been doing a little bit of a different study here lately. It's called, uh, Who Are Those Minor Prophets and What Were They So Mad About? So we've been talking about that for the last couple of months. And so I'm going to scatter in a few of these uh, uh, different verses. But uh, in in Hosea chapter 7 in verse 2, God looks at His people Israel and He says, I will remember all of their evil deeds. Their sins are always before Me. Just think about it if that was God's attitude toward you. 
every single sin you've got, I have it written down. Come judgment day, I'm going to read them all off. This is your story. I remember everything I, and all seen, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever failed to do. God's got it written down. I remember them all. Come on in here for judgment day. You know, how fun would that be? You know? Even if you're rich, even if you've been fairly healthy all your life, even if you found a spouse, you, you do not want that one on come judgment day, right? But then there's this other cool extreme. And, and uh, First of all, I thought of a New Testament passage in Hebrews 8 and verse 12. I'll forgive their wickedness, remember their sins no more. Some of you remember the passage says, He'll forgive us as far as the east is from the west. Which... I don't even know how far that is, right? But, but I found one in Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. It says that when God turns His grace toward you, He will hurl all of our sins into the deepest parts of the sea. You know, I read that a couple of weeks ago and I said, let me go find out what the deepest parts of the sea are. And I went and looked it up. And it says the Mariana Trench in the western Pacific Ocean is the deepest known part of the Earth's oceans. And it tells me that it's about 36,000 feet below sea level, which doesn't really mean anything to me. Maybe some of you mariner type know more and more about that. But here's the part that jumped out at me. It says, if Mount Everest, the highest mountain on Earth, were flipped upside down, you'd still have to go another mile down to get to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. And God said, I'm going to take all your sins, I'm going to throw them so deep, you can go all the way down to Mount Everest and head a mile even deeper than that. Nobody's ever going to know or find or remember your sins anymore. It's just kind of the most... That's the offer we have from God. The number one thing you and I need is the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we repent and are baptized, we put our faith in God, we're cleansed, we're washed. Think of all God has forgiven you for. And so the first thing the man thought of with the mat wasn't his physical healing. He thought, there was a man who forgave me of all of my sins. And it was the greatest gift I ever got. Is that the way you and I feel? And I want to just say this really quickly. I know uh, Anita's also shared, already shared eloquently on this point. But when you understand you've been forgiven, you become a forgiver of others. And so I just want to real quickly say again, you know, it's interesting, uh, certainly outside the church and in families, but also even inside the church, conflict can tend to reign supreme. I mean, it just can. Let's be honest. And the only place that, where people are involved that there's not conflict is like in a cemetery six feet under. And so it's a little easier not to have it there. But uh, I'm just telling you what most people today do is they run from conflict. Well, if, if this person doesn't treat me the way I want to, then I'm just not going to hang with them anymore. And it happens in churches and people get all offended. And, and I'll, I'll tell you real quickly, I've got like hundreds of, and thousands of these stories. A couple of weeks ago, a few more than that, a few weeks ago, let's say, I was, uh, I was on the phone, I, I had a conference call I was making, and I sent out an email to six or seven church leaders, and uh, you know they'd read it, and that, this is what we were going to talk about in our conference call. Get on the phone call, we were having a wonderful time for about the first half of the conference call. About halfway through, one of the guys on the line says, Jimmy, I really didn't like that paragraph that you put in your email. Here's what I didn't like about it, here's why I thought it was inappropriate. You know, I was a little stunned that you wrote that. And then there was a deep pause that came over the phone. And I was thinking about saying, well, Glenn Petruzzi told me to write that down. Don't I? You know, you know, I have to... 
No, I really actually wasn't thinking to blame someone else. But you know what I was thinking is, let me explain it away. Let me tell them all the reasons why I thought that would be appropriate because of this backstory and that backstory. And then everybody's going to love me again and I'm not going to look like a sinful wretch, which I really am. And so I just said, you know, I'm really sorry. I should not have put that. That, that was inappropriate. I, who, who wants to you know, tell seven other evangelists that was wrong? I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then there was another long pause. And then he said, don't worry about it, Jimmy. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. In the big scheme of life, this is a small thing. I appreciate your apology. You're totally forgiven. Let's go. And there was this load just kind of lifted from my life and my shoulders. One of the small, many moments where because someone's understood that God has forgiven them so much, then they're willing to forgive somebody else when they mess up. I mean, it just, it just makes sense that if God has forgiven me a bajillions of things that when you say something with a little irritating tone of voice or when your spouse... I, I, you know, one of the challenges of my life has been to forgive my father. But how could I not forgive my father if my heavenly father has forgiven me? Have you forgiven your uncle or your boss or your kids or your spouse or your ex-spouse or whoever it is that you struggle with? You're going to have to at some point... Let it go. Doesn't mean it makes it all okay. Doesn't mean they were righteous in all their deeds. But it means that a righteous, loving, and heavenly Father forgave you, and He teaches you that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live an embittered life. Forgiven people forgive other people. So this man learned some incredible things about uh, forgiveness. Let's try number two. Wonder. Wonder. You know, Jesus healed this man, and He just said. In fact, the whole crowd just stood in awe and in wonder of it all. And I love the way it closes out in the NIV. It says, we have seen remarkable things today. In another translation, it says, we have seen extraordinary things today. I even love the way the message says it. The message says this, uh, this last verse, uh, 26. It says, the people rubbed their eyes incredulously and they gave glory to God. Awestruck, they said, we have never seen anything like this before. I mean, they were just like this, what? He forgave his sins and then he healed him and the guy is running off with his mat. There's like, when you come to Jesus, something different and explosive and radical happens. And I hope that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you feel that way. Just standing in awe of who God is and all that He's done. You know, in the, in the New Testament, as the people read their Bible, the Old Testament... They were blown away by the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Moses and Esther, right? They were just blown away like, wow, aren't those the most incredible stories in the world? But then now we read the New Testament and we're blown away by the book of Acts. Can you believe that all that happened and that's crazy? And, but you know what we're doing now? We're living out God's kingdom and we are that book today. Amen. And so it's kind of crazy. I went to the, you know, I moved in 1988 to the Boston Church of Christ as a Young, married, with no kids. And, uh, uh, you know, that was what, do you do the math? 30, almost, well, 30 plus years ago. And so, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, but, but 
that, so then I went from Boston, well, several places, but we'll just, we won't, that would take all my time. But anyway, I ended up in Hartford for 20 years. And you know what I did in Hartford? I told the stories of the Boston Church of Christ and the Worcester Church. And, 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 and they talk like the book of Acts. And we're like, whoa, God is still powerful. And then I moved from Hartford to Providence. And you know what I did? What, just about a month ago, I just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to tell you guys a lot of stories from the Hartford Church from the last 20 years. And I just told them the tales. And they're like, whoa, that sounds like the book of Acts. And so I'm just going to give you a little smidgen here. So I've come here, and I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories from the Providence Church, and you're going to be like, whoa, that reads like the book of Acts, and I'm going to take your stories, and I'm going to tell them to somebody else. And we we can't lose the wonder and the awe of how miraculous and powerful and amazing Jesus is. And, and, And they're God's stories, right? They're not Jimmy's stories or Glenn's stories. These are God's stories. And whenever we don't make them God's stories, that's when it all falls apart. But let me, let me, just, let me just help you here real quickly. When, uh, when the Providence Church was planted, we had uh, 30 disciples. Uh, we're celebrating our five-year anniversary this next month together. But uh, we had 30 disciples. And, we, and seven of those were kids on a one-year challenge, which we're really grateful for. It is interesting, after the one year ends and the seven move away, you're like, whoa, that was an interesting... Anyway, it was, but we are glad because that allowed Nick to at least have a few friends who were younger and cooler and hipper. They weren't, you know, he got to run around with them. So Nick stayed for an extra year with just a couple of uh, younger people. But mainly, our church was all 30 to 50-year-olds with kids, and they're awesome people, and, and I kind of like 30 to 50-year-olds, since I barely actually fall into that category. But anyway, so I, I love, you know, I, I love 30 to 50-year-olds, but the number one prayer we started praying was, God, you have got to somehow get us younger. How are we going to evangelize a city and a state if we don't get some younger? And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And one day, this sweet little girl named Jane Sperry just kind of showed up at church service, and she said, I've transferred to Rhode Island College. Where does the campus ministry sit? And I said, Jane, we don't really have a campus ministry. And she said, how can you have a church and not have a campus ministry? I said, I'm not real sure, but somehow we pulled it off. And she says, well, you got one now, so you better figure out something. So Jain began to scheme of this handsome young single man that we would put in leading a Bible talk with her that would sweep her and the campus ministry off their feet into victory and joy and glory. And we came back with a plan. The campus ministry will be started by Jain and Jimmy. That was not exactly what she was looking for in the... Why, why have like an old guy in his 50s go out on campus with you because that was God's only plan at the time. I thought it was a bad one, but there was nothing else I could think of that we could do. And so in my late 50s, I said, let's go start a campus ministry. And thank goodness Jaim was very personable and relatable and feisty and zealous, and so I'm sure she did most of the work. But I'm, I'm telling you, this is a God story, right? Because there's nothing, there's nothing about a 50-year-old walking out on campus and talking to people. There's just no worse idea than that. That's just a horrible idea. I would talk to people and they would say, you know, actually I'm in the Bi- interested in the Bible. I, mean, I am interested in the Bible talk, but I would like never come with you because you scare me. I'm th- anyway, it was just really, it was quite the, uh, quite the last few years. But you know what, as I stand here today, that was two or three years ago when Jane moved there. And by the way, she did actually ultimately meet her man of her dreams. And she's now married to Sam Sarnan at Brown University. So we're fired up that God... But, but as I stand here today, we're starting to fall with 20 campus disciples in Providence, Rhode Island. It, it's, there are... 
There are students at Rhode Island College. There are students at Brown University. Uh, we, anyway, we, we can tell you about, I want to tell you, I want to tell you the Johnson and Wales University story. Oh, yeah. All right? Johnson and Wales, and these are like culinary students, which you should really be fired up about culinary students. So two years ago, we had no campus disciple. I didn't even know there was a Johnson and Wales Harborside campus. This is how embarrassing it was. Two years ago, I didn't even know there was that campus. I knew there was a down city one, but I didn't know there was one at the Harborside. Anyway, they're starting their Bible talk. Uh, with nine campus disciples at Johnson and Wales that have all been baptized in the last two years. And, I, I mean, it's just, it's, we started, the first guy that was baptized was a guy named Miles, and we just said, hey, Miles, you, you know of anybody we can study the Bible with? He was like, oh, I got a friend that might do it. I said, okay, well, let's just meet in the Starbucks cafe. Let's study the Bible with him. So he brings this friend, and, and I, you know, I'm pretty much a, uh, a planner, an organizer. Let's figure out how to make this work. This was way, I mean, Every week we would study at the same time and Miles just started inviting some others of his friends and then his buddy started inviting some others of his friends and before long the Starbucks cafe was like way too small to even have us so we had to go find another. Honestly, there were like 20 to 30 people that showed up every week for this. What we didn't even plan as a Bible talk. It was just this organically, this culinary crew all knows each other and they invited their friends and half the time I didn't even know who was there and who wasn't and you know how usually you can say, well, we had three friends and it was Fred and Sally and I had no idea who was there. It was like out of control as God kind of did something that was crazy and just one after the other, they started studying the Bible and studying the Bible and studying the Bible. And there's been some ups and downs there that's not all victories. There's been some challenges too. We know in the book of Acts and in the story of Boston and in the story of Hartford, they're not all glamour and glory stories. And in the story of Portland, right, there's a few challenges. It's not all victories. But I'm just saying, God is in control. And, and when, you, when you focus on Him and when you pray to Him, and then when you just go and open your mouth, even if you're 59 years old, walking across... In fact, I got, I got to, I'll tell you this story. This is a God story. So I, I've probably, and there, you, you got in a couple of old codgers on me here, so I'm not totally sure this is true, but my guess is that I've probably been rejected in terms of sharing my faith more than anybody in the room. Again, there might be a little competition now going on since we got, we got Tom Heaton here, and he was kind of with Abraham back in the beginning. So. But I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I have been rejected a lot. I mean, a lot. So I walk into Bible... This summer, I walk into Bible Talk. And, uh, you know, I I try to go there a little bit early. And in the summertime, the campus is just like totally dead. There's literally no one on the campus. I'm looking around, nobody there. Okay, I'll just go to the building. So I get up to the top of the stairs. I'm about to open the door to go into the building. And I turn around, and I see a speck off in the far distance. I don't know if this speck is a person, if it's an animal. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I don't know if it's a teacher. But I'm like, I got 15 minutes. Let's go find out who the speck is. So I start walking toward the speck. And the speck starts walking toward me. And before long, you feel like, oh, no, it's actually a younger guy. It looks like it might actually be a campus student. And as happens often when I'm walking towards somebody, he immediately started turning and walking the other direction, like toward the dormitory. But being as annoying and persistent as I am, I cut through the parking lot headed toward him. And you could see he tried to speed up, so I kind of sped up a little bit. And, but I wasn't going to catch him because he was younger and more spry than I was. So I shouted out, hey, can you stop for just a second? And he turned and looked at me. And I said that probably the worst line you could ever use, uh, are you interested in spiritual things? <laughs> Ask that question in New England a few times. You'll get no more often than you can possibly imagine. And he said, yes, I am. I didn't even hardly know what to say at that particular point. <laughs> and so I said the second thing that honestly I, I've, I've rarely ever said before. I said... We have a Bible talk over here in 15 minutes, and I'd like for you to come with me now. And he said, 
Okay, I'll come. He turned around. He wasn't walking toward the dorm anymore. And we started walking. We, we, we went to Bible talk. At the end of Bible talk, I, I, you know, usually you want to kind of have like a coffee and get to know people and warm them up. I said, would you like to study the Bible? He said, I would really like to study the Bible. We set up a Thursday to study the Bible. And then in conversation, I heard him tell somebody that he had Mondays off and Thursdays was a little busy. So I went back to him and I said, hey, uh, you, you, would you prefer that we switch the Bible study to Monday instead of Thursday? And he said, can we do both? And I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm 59 years old. There's nothing relatable. This is not a Jimmy story. Get it? God, you just, you just throw out some seeds. You just open your mouth and you stand in wonder at what God can do. Up in the upper left-hand corner up there in the middle, well, that's Nate. He's the, he's the captain of the cross-country team at Johnson & Wales University and he's surrounded by some of the guys that were in the Bible study with him. Uh, just a really quick addendum and then, whoops, we better move on here. But uh, uh, Hakeem is to his left. He's the African-American brother there. And Hakeem got up and shared about Nate the, the day he got baptized. And Hakeem was like crying uncontrollably. And I, he's a little more of an emotional man than I am. But I was like, Hakeem, what in the world has gotten into you? You know, this is crazy. So I took him off in the corner and he said, Jimmy, I started praying at the end of May that we would see someone baptized in the campus ministry in June. And I was thinking, I was like, Hakeem, we didn't even have anybody coming to Bible talk. Why would you be praying something as crazy as that? You know, it's, it's like a month away. And he said, and then I thought, well, he's getting close, but it's not going to happen. Uh, and so actually, Hakeem and Patrick had gone out for like dates up to Boston. And on a Saturday night, Nate had called me up and said, I'm not right with God. I got to get baptized. Whatever we got to do, whatever study we got to do, I got to get baptized. So we got together that Saturday night and finished up. And on Sunday morning, he was baptized. And it was the last day of June. And Hakeem was just crying because he stood in awe of God. That God had answered his prayer that certainly I didn't know about, Nate didn't know about. But I'm just, I'm just telling you, we have an amazing, miraculous God. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll throw in this real quick one without telling you the stories. But and this is, you guys can pray for us on this. In the Providence Church, in five years, we have not baptized a single married couple. All right, I'm not proud of that. I'm just being honest. We have not baptized one married couple. But by God's grace, we baptized six couples that were living together. Started studying the Bible, they moved out from each other, ultimately you know, became disciples, and then ultimately ended up getting married. And we have now this really cool, hot, young marriage ministry. And, it, and, and so to see how God's wanting us, certainly He wants us to convert marriage as well, but He's also wanting... And now if you walked into our church, it's way smaller than I want it to be, and there's so many more souls that need to be won. But if you walked into our church now, you'd say, there's actually a really good mix of young and old, of black and white, of rich and poor, and it represents you know, our city. And it's, it's all a testament to what God can do, even when you don't have all the pieces in place, like, you know, all of it's not set up exactly the way you'd like to get it. In fact, I think God loves it when it's not set up the way you think it should be set up. He just wants to do His work. We should stand in awe of God. All right, let's see. How do we... Let's try number three, right? Oh, I, I got to say this. We all have a mat. We all have a story. We should be grateful for forgiveness, cry gratitude, tears of gratitude and joy, but never forget the wonder of it all. Always take your story with you. Jesus called this man friend. Jesus calls you friend. You just should be blown away with the wonder and the awe of it all. All right, let's try the mission. The mission. Four friends bring someone to Jesus. 
They do anything to connect with him. At the end, we have a man sharing with others and glorifying God. Open your mouths. Open your eyes. You know, this church was built on the mission. The Boston church was built on the mission. The Pioneer Valley church was built on the mission. The Providence church was built on the mission. You and I have a purpose. It is the heart of God. If you asked me to come watch your hundred sheep someday and one of them got away somehow, I would dance a little jig of joy because I still had 99 somehow at the end of the day. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is, i got to go find the one. If I lost $10 bills and I found nine of them, I would be plenty happy to just put them in my pocket and go on home. That's not the heart of God. God wants every single coin. That's Luke 15. If there's just one hard-headed, obstinate person in the world that says, I reject God, I don't want to know Him, and runs away from Him, my deal can sometimes be good riddance. I don't know what your problem is, I don't know what your attitude is, but go. That's not the heart of God. God has a heart for the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter, every single one of them that's been running away from Him. If it's His heart, it's got to become our heart too. His church was built on the mission. I've got a... Let let me see. Look in Genesis 15. I want to show you this one real quick. This is going to be my last scripture. And then we're going to just talk a few more minutes. You've got to figure out what in the world all the props are for here. Genesis 15. I just read this one this last week. And Sajan and Glenn have already been bored with this one. But I've got to show it to you. 59 years of life. I'd never seen this one either, so I got fired up about it. And, and, uh, you know how Abram was prompted? When he was 75 years old, God told Abram, I'm going to make your descendants like the sands of the seashore. All nations are going to be blessed through you. He had no kids. He's 75 years old. And Abram said, okay, whatever. Sounds good. Now we know that 25 years later, when he's 100, he finally has Isaac. So we kind of tell the story of Abraham and Isaac, but it's a, it's a painful story for Abram and Sarah, right? Because it was 25 years of waiting. Now somewhere in the middle of those 25 years, it doesn't tell us exactly when it was, so let's just take a little guess. You know, we'll guess like 15 years in. At 90 years old, we're going to read a story. There's, he, he told him 15 years ago, you're going to have a son, and there's still no son. So in Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, if God appeared to you and said that, how would you feel? You'd feel pretty fired up, right? You'd be like, I think I could share next Sunday. I got a little vision from Jesus. I mean, that's like one of the most comforting verses in the Bible. I am your shield. I am your reward. You'd think Abram would be fired up when he heard that from God directly. He wasn't. Verse 2, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You give me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. You know what I noticed I'd never seen before? In verse 5, it says that God took Abram outside. Now, if He took him outside, what does it mean that He was initially when they were having the conversation? Inside. And I began to think, if you're sitting inside a tent, how does life look? Let's try it. Okay. So Abram's in his tent. 
and he's thinking about the promises of God and all the wonderful promises that God has given him. And what is his perspective like inside the tent? It's a little limited, right? Oh yeah. It's a little closed in. It's a little four walls-ish, right? And if you just sit inside your tent and ponder God, what, or really ponder anything, what tends to happen? You get kind of depressed. You don't have a whole lot of faith. Hopefully you can get out of the tent. Actually, actually that's going to be my point. When you're inside the tent, God said, he, he didn't say, let me get, he didn't say, I got to give you a speech right now. He said, first of all, I'm going to take you outside of the tent. Then I'm going to give you a little speech. And I just started thinking, and there's a whole host of parallels we don't have time for, but let's just try, even in, like in our movement of churches. If you ask anyone in our churches 30 years ago, do you think you'll evangelize the world? Everybody would have screamed, yes! Let's go! If you wanted people to go on a mission team, they were lined out the door. When we planted the church in Hartford, we had to tell a whole host of people, no, you can't come. They were lined out the door. You know how many people moved? physically moved to Providence to be on the Providence team? Other than us? Three. And one of the couples had a daughter that was down there already, and one of them was a single guy who got a job. We're grateful for that, but they weren't even necessarily, I'll go do anything, give up everything. They were like, oh, my daughter's down there. Oh, I got a job. I'm just telling you, they weren't lined out the door. Because today, it's different. And why I think one of the reasons it's different is because we went through some really hard times, and our faith was hit, we all went and curled up in the fetal position in our tent. And we sat in our tent, and we sat in our tent. It was really hard out there. And sometimes people say no, and everybody doesn't like us, and we don't want to make any more mistakes. And God's just saying, come on, man, get out of the tent. Yeah, that's right. Look up at the sky. There are like billions of stars. Can God do anything anytime He wants? Absolutely. And some of us are maybe too young to remember some of the mistakes that we made and apologize for profusely over and over. And we needed to, okay? But I'm just saying some of us, that's the way our individual lives have become. We're initially all fired up and we're zealous and let's take the world by ourselves. We don't even need Glenn Petrucci. I'll evangelize all of Portland by myself and here I come. And... But then life hits. And then there's this distraction. And then there's that challenge. And then we just kind of go and we curl up in our tent and say, well, God can't really use me. And I don't know if I have any purpose. And maybe I should just give my life to money and my job and my career. It breaks the heart of God. And God says to all of us today, get out of the tent. Look up at the heavens. Don't just look around you. Look above you at who God is and and the purpose that He's given you. To change the world. All right, we're going to close out. I, I have a rule in Providence that I need a rule in Providence where I cannot use more than one prop every Sunday. However, I wasn't told that in Portland, and I don't come to Portland at all. So we're breaking them all out. Okay? So you won't tell me about any props. Too many props. I'm telling you, this is too many props. But it's Portland, and I'm having a good time. All right, here we go. Nick, come help me. All right, so this is actually. This is actually the first prop that I ever saw over a decade ago. And you got, some of you guys have probably heard of it before, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's the... Uh, I want you to pretend that this rope is uh, eternity. Okay? This is how long your, last, your life is going to last. Come on. And so you're going to have to use your imagination. But it's going to head out that door. It's going to go all the way down the hall. It's going to go all the way around the world about you know, 15 times. And it's going to head out to the, 
moon and go around it hundreds of times. It's going to hit every planet. It's just going to go on for billions and billions and billions. That's the way your life is going to be. Do you get that? We're, when we're talking about eternal life, it's not like just like, you know, 100 instead of 70. It's like forever and ever and ever. And actually, if we would think about that more, we'd be in a whole lot better condition sometimes than we are. Yeah. All right? So I, I got a little piece of tape on the end of this rope. And what is this? This is your life. This is what you're living right now. In light of eternity that goes on and 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 on forever, this is your life right now on earth. And which do we spend more of our time focused on? We get so focused on, I can't believe my boss gave my co-worker that 10 cents an hour raise and not me, and I don't know why my child didn't obey quickly the first time, and I'm so tired of this cold that's been that. We get so focused on What's happened with us today and the here and now and this and then we don't even spend hardly any of our time thinking about where am I going to spend eternity? Where are my family and my friends going to spend eternity? Where are the people in the city of Portland? And I'm I'm just telling you, I and I we all get caught up in the rat race of, of life and we gotta get God's, we gotta get out of the tent and get the bigger perspective that what's most important in life is that people get the forgiveness of their sins. Yes. Right. And God has the power to turn any city upside down whenever He wants to. It's the purpose and mission He gave us. And so with joy, let's let some of the things in this world slide a little bit. If you don't get that raise you are hoping for. Let's, uh, you know, let's not just get all bit out of shape because he promises he's going to take care of us, right? Yeah, come on. But what if we just focused on what's going what's to help me bust heaven wide open when I die or when Jesus comes back and what's going to help other people do that? You know, I'm, I'm glad that a guy put a mat on the wall. See, you have a story. When, when Paul was converted in, in Acts chapter 9, do you notice that every time he gets up to preach, pretty much he just tells his conversion story. Mm-hmm. You read Acts 22, you read Acts 26, and he's just telling, oh, i got to tell you my story. i got to tell you my story. You've got a map too. You've got a story. Just go tell somebody your story. I was blind, but now I see. You know, I was lame, but now I walk. I was lost, but now I'm found. And it's a Jesus story. Yeah. You bring yourself to Jesus, you bring your friends to Jesus, and everyone, everything changes. Amen. Thanks for Amen. Amen.